Once again, good morning, VRVC. Great to see so many of you. Great to have you who are joining us online. And of course, happy Mother's Day. Uh, it's our privilege today to recognize and honor moms and grandmothers and great-grandmothers in our congregation. Uh, I also want to acknowledge um, spiritual mothers uh, in our congregation. They may or may not be biological moms, but they are nurturing and mentoring a generation of younger men and women, and we are grateful for you as well. And I will tell you as a father of four that I am in awe of what our moms go through on behalf of their children. I mean, I want you to think about it. Think about it personally. For the first nine months of your existence, you make your moms nauseous and hormonal and uh, you cause them pain, and over the course of time, you make them increasingly uncomfortable. And then if that's not enough, uh, when it's time for you to be born, you put them through excruciating pain. And when you are born, do you say to your mom, look, I, I just want to thank you uh, for the last nine months. Um, I, literally, you have given life to me, and uh, I know I put you through so much, but I guarantee you I'm going to spend the rest of my life uh, compensating you for all that you've done. Is that what we say? No. We say, feed me, swaddle me, diaper me, figure out what's wrong with me. <laughs> I bet you can't. Uh, you know, <laughs> continue to take care of me for decades, long after you really reasonably should. Right? <laughs> and do you know what? Moms do it. And, and do it joyfully, and, and, and they are amazing. They must possess a certain uh, amnesia from the pain, a certain blindness that causes them to love us despite our many faults and foibles. Uh, they are amazing, but thankfully moms don't have an exclusive hold on sacrificial love. Uh, the Bible consistently tells us that God is love, that Jesus personifies the purest form of love, uh, that has ever been seen in the world. And this morning on Mother's Day, I want us to look at the purest impulses of a mom's love for children, of a parent's love for children, of, of a human's love for children. And so to do that, I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Uh, we're gonna read a short passage. It's likely uh, very familiar to many of us. And it's gonna highlight Jesus' love for children. And so as we read this passage this morning, I want you to listen for the aspects of Christ's love for all children. Mark 10, 13 to 16, hear the word of the Lord. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. God bless the reading of his word. Now verse 13, if it's the first time you're reading it, it might strike you as a little odd. Why would somebody try to keep children from Jesus, and so let me just see if I can give you a little uh, background on, on, on why that might be. One of the themes that runs through the Gospel of John, is, or Gospel of Mark rather, is how insanely 
popular Jesus has become. In fact, just a mere 28 verses into the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is in Capernaum. He's just liberated a demon-possessed man from uh, that dark hold that the demon has on the man. And everybody can't stop talking about this new teacher who speaks and acts with authority. And Mark 1.28 says, news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. 28 verses into the Gospel of Mark, this will become the new reality for Jesus. A few verses later, a whole town virtually is gathered outside his door. They brought the sick, they brought those struggling with oppression of demons, and wherever he goes from this point on, crowds will follow him. Throughout this gospel, you'll read the phrase, large crowds, large crowds, large crowds. Jesus will heal somebody and then say, hey, do me a favor, don't tell anybody about this, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, it's hard for me to, to walk around these days without all these fans, and, and of course they ignore him and, and they tell everybody. And, and as we get to chapter 10, our chapter, in verse one we read again, crowds of people came to see him. Now I can tell you I've never been famous, although I did win my school spelling bee. Uh, <laughs> Every boy's dream. Uh, but I've never been famous. I've never been anything close to famous. But I've known uh, so many people who would give just about anything to be famous. And then I've heard interviews with truly famous people who would give just about anything to not be famous, to be anonymous. There's clearly a price to be paid for fame. Jesus didn't seek fame. Fame sought Jesus. And that's the backdrop behind these words we read in verse 13, which says that people, parents presumably, were bringing little children to Jesus so that Jesus might place his hands on the children. Now, I guess if you're one of Jesus' disciples, he's so popular, there are always crowds, always people around. You see your job as his disciple to kind of play offensive lineman and to block and to protect the quarterback. And maybe that's what the disciples were were doing in this case. They see a group of of parents and young children and they sprint into action. They make a judgment call. They think about how little time Jesus has on this earth and how pressed he is by, by more demand than he could ever meet. And they make a value judgment in the moment about the relative worth of children when it comes to how Jesus might spend his time and effort. And as far as they were concerned, children fall far down on the value list of who and what is really important. Of all the concerns that must have run through the disciples' mind at that point, the needs of children was not on the uppermost part of their minds. Which brings up, I think, a really important question for us today about the value of children and about what these children that we value truly need the most. I wanna ask you a question that I think is on the mind of every mom I know, every dad I know. I think it's on the mind of every child I know as well. And it's a question that Jesus clearly has thought deeply about. And the question is, what do children need most? If you think about what every child needs, and you kind of rank the needs, what what ends up toward the top? Like I say, it's a question everybody thinks about, 
And a lot of people have really different opinions about, for example, if you ask children that question, uh, you know, I can tell you what eight-year-old Larry would have said. What do I need? I need candy and lots of it. Jawbreakers, Snickers. I need toys. A Nerf football uh, that doesn't have big chunks out of it would be nice. Uh, baseball cards. I, I would love a new bike with a banana seat and uh, uh, handles with streamers that come out of the... Yeah. I, I need more experiences. Uh, you know, carnivals, Astro World. I, I need more pizza and less vegetables. That's what I need in my life. I need a lot more fun and a lot fewer chores. If you had asked me as an eight-year-old, I'm sure I could have articulated what I thought I needed. That's what a, what a child might say. What about, what about a parent? Well, you know what? Some parents, their answers are not all that different from their kids. They wanna be the kid's best friend. They wanna be known as the cool mom, the cool dad. And maybe they grew up, uh, when they were children, they were kind of deprived and they, they swore their kids would never go through that kind of deprivation they went through and they're gonna give their kid everything their kid could ever want. Some parents think that's what children need. Other parents think what children need most is the law. They need the law laid down. These parents think that it's their job to point out everything, and I do mean everything, their, children does, their child does wrong or, uh, or is below their standard. And the thought is, is if I just kind of flood them with criticism, uh, they'll grow up to be healthy, uh, wonderful adults, right? What do children need most? Well, I, I, I want to see by Jesus' words and actions how he might answer that all-important question. And the first thing that jumps to mind for me is I think Jesus would say one of the things children need most is access to the divine. What do I mean by that? I think children need a pathway into the presence of God. Children need a pathway into the arms of Jesus. I I believe children need an invitation to explore the inevitable mystery of life that extends beyond those things that we can access with our five senses. And I think this becomes really clear that this is a value for Jesus when we see what happens, when we kind of finish out verse 13. It says that people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them, rebuked the parents. Likely the children were, were young, Luke Uh, In his passage, says they were infants. Some of them were infants. Um, And so you see here, here's how the disciples decide to manage Jesus' popularity once again. Uh, And and maybe they had a good instinct to try to protect Jesus, but they totally misunderstood the heart of their leader. When they rebuked the parents, uh, they were so far away from the values of Jesus for children. The disciples basically set up traffic cones between Jesus in two very important constituencies. Parents who felt uh, this desperate sense of need for God's intervention and the children they were holding. Now, I mean, the question arises, why would the disciples do this? And we don't exactly know. One commentator speculates that, you know, if Jesus' touch uh, was a healing touch, well, that should really be reserved for healing miracles and not just ordinary, hey, how are you? Let me give you a hug. Um, Maybe they feared exhausting Jesus. 
Maybe they thought that these parents and their, their noisy children would be a distraction for Jesus as he prepares to do this ministry of teaching. We don't know the disciples' motives, but we can guess at the parents' motives for bringing their children to Jesus. This was an era in history where children were an endangered species. Did you know that in this century uh, that, that uh, Jesus walked the earth, 60% of children died before they reached the age of 16. Moms, can you imagine giving birth to five children and only two make it to sweet 16? Can you imagine how vulnerable you would constantly feel? Can you imagine how prayerful you would be? I think these parents were saying, look, if I have a chance to place my child in the arms of Jesus, I'm gonna do it. If I have a chance for my child to receive a blessing from Jesus, I'm gonna do everything I can to put my child in the arms of Jesus. But the disciples, as David Garland says, they, were, they, they saw themselves as bouncers, right? And, and they communicated this wall of no to the parents and to their kids. They communicated what sometimes our neighbors communicate to us as we walk down the street. Uh, you know, the, there may be a welcome mat in front of the, uh, you know, kind of at the bottom of the front door, but there may also be a sign that says no soliciting. There may be a ring doorbell that's taking video of you. Uh, there may be motion lights that come on uh, if you approach the house in the dark. There may be a sign that says beware of the dog or this property protected by Smith and Wesson, or, uh, you know, basically what we often say is, and we do it for maybe out of fear, but we say, you know, stay away, right? No access, no, no, no soliciting. That's what the disciples were saying to these parents and their children, stay away. And how did Jesus feel about that? Well, verse 14 tells us, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. If you were thinking anger is always a sin, it's not. Jesus was sinless and Jesus was indignant. Righteous indignation. The heart of our Savior is for doors to be open into God's presence. And on this day, I, I, I give thanks for godly moms whose Greatest prayers for their children is not necessarily that they become doctors or CEOs or professional athletes. Their greatest prayer is that their children know and love and follow Jesus. Sometimes I hear parents, even parents with a Christian background say, well, uh, I'm not gonna impose my religious beliefs on my child. I'm gonna treat my five-year-old like a graduate student in philosophy. I, I, I'm not gonna impose my, my faith. I, I, I have to tell you, if it's not already clear by my sarcasm, I don't get that logic. I mean, your children are looking to you to find out what you think about the meaning of the universe, what you think about right and wrong, what you think about love versus apathy, what you think about pride versus humility, what you think about a life of serving versus a life of self-serving, they're looking to you to, think what, to find out what you think about whether life is about Jesus or life is about nothingness. It's not imposing an alien belief on them, it's giving them an incalculable gift 
by all means, parents, let's not allow enlightened views to block the path between our children and Jesus. Open the door. Let the children come. Our kids need access to the safe arms of their Savior. They need access. They need opportunity to learn and grow and learn more about Jesus. I think as we look at the actions of Jesus, they need something else, and that is they need advocates. They need advocates for their significance. Yes, they need access. They need to be ushered into his presence. But they also need someone to stand up for them. And that's one of the things I love about verse 14. It starts with the righteous anger of Jesus. But let's, let, let's continue to, to, to look at this verse. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And then listen to this. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. What a verse. Jesus' disciples are saying, by implication, look, these children don't meet the threshold of significance. They are not significant enough to warrant Jesus' attention. And much of the world, by the way, mirrors that opinion. The children are insignificant. Maybe that's why so many children struggle with poverty and struggle with illiteracy. So many children are victims of physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional neglect. I'll never forget, forget talking to, to a friend of mine. He was a pilot. He flew routes to the, among other places to the former Soviet Union. And there uh, would be many passengers on his plane who uh, would be adopting children from former Soviet republics. And uh, some of these children had been abandoned by their parents. Some had struggled with disabilities uh, of different kinds. And my friend said one of the nationals uh, where he was flying to just didn't get it why all these parents were coming to adopt. And he actually said to my friend, why would you want our castaways? That sentiment could not be farther from the heart of Jesus. Children are not castaways. They are heirs of the king, they are princes and princesses, they are royalty, they are sons and daughters of King Jesus. King Jesus says, let the children come to me. I value them, every one of them. Let them come to me. You know, I think this is one of the things, I'm, I'm, sure, I, I'm sure I learned this in seminary, I'm sure I, I, I checked the right true-false box or, or, or multiple-choice answer, but in some ways, I feel like I had to kind of be here. I had to maybe raise my family among you. I had to allow uh, myself an opportunity just to watch our wonderful children and student ministries across the years to really discover that, that this church has taught me that the faith journey of kids and teens is just as important as the faith journey of adults. Discipleship does not start at age 19. Their souls and their, the journey of their souls is just as important. Discipleship is not just for grown-ups. Our kids, I don't know if you've watched them, they worship our kids, I don't know if you know, they are growing in their faith, growing rapidly. 
Our kids serve. Our kids are some of the best inviters of folks, their neighbors and school friends, to come to VRBC. I've been on mission trips before with students from this church and just been amazed and sometimes slightly intimidated by the sheer boldness of our students. I've been in a union mission uh, in downtown with so many unhoused folks, and I've seen students walk up to uh, men and women uh, who are much older and, and larger than them and just say, can I pray for you? And put their hands, reach up a hand to put it on his shoulder and pray and engage in conversation. And I remember thinking to myself, would their parents have that kind of boldness? That was the easy question. Then I had to ask, do I have that kind of boldness? I want you to hear me on this. When Jesus sees a child he doesn't say, ah, that's a, that's a fraction of a, of a soul. Maybe it, it'll grow into a full soul one day, but that's a sub-soul. No. Jesus sees a beautiful soul. And that's why he speaks up. That's why he advocates. That's why he tells his disciples to tear down every barrier that hinders the children and their parents from coming to him. In fact, Jesus says that sometimes kids get faith in a way that grown-ups don't. Did you catch that in verse 15? Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. What is Jesus saying? I think he's saying that kids can be our teachers when it comes to the ways of God. Children know to come empty-handed. What have they earned? They come empty-handed. And they receive the kingdom as a gift. And we come trying to pay for it with a few quarters and a few dollar bills. No, you don't receive the kingdom that way. You receive it with open hands. The children teach us that. And Jesus is their advocate. And I I thank God for faithful moms who are advocates, who do the same thing for their kids. Maybe you read the story recently about a a police officer, uh, Corporal Annette Goodyear. She was doing her day job, maybe not the most exciting of of, uh, roles in law enforcement. She was directing traffic in front of a middle school. And you know the drill, the child's over there in the crosswalk, they're ready to cross. You kind of walk out in the street, you stop traffic, you signal for the child to come. Uh, You know, she'd done it, you know, hundreds of thousands of times before. But on this particular day, a rainy day, one driver didn't stop. And Corporal Goodyear had no time to focus on the car. In fact, cameras caught Goodyear as she sprang into action and she grabbed the child and she pushed the child out of the way. Here's the child. Here's Corporal Goodyear being hit by the vehicle. She said later it was strange. It didn't seem real as it was happening. Fortunately, she wasn't significantly injured. She was soon released from the hospital. She actually had a tearful reunion with the student whose life she rescued. And as I heard that story, I thought, you know, I mean, in a moment like that, you don't have a lot of time to think, right? It's just an instinct that kicks in. And the instinct is either one that moves towards self-protection, backing away, or maybe it's a more mom-like instinct. It's a Christ-like instinct. It's the instinct of the advocate. It's to advocate so completely for the welfare of the child that you run toward fear, 
you run toward advocacy, you absorb blows in the place of the child. What children need, what all of us need, is someone to advocate for us. We need access. Let the children come to Jesus. We, we need advocates. Children are significant. And I think we need one more thing that Jesus demonstrates, and that is we need affirmation of God's blessing. Children of all ages, what's that Christmas song? Kids from two to 92, is that how it goes? Children of all ages need to know how Jesus truly feels about them. And Jesus leaves no doubt in verse 16. He speaks through his words and he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. In the Gospel of Mark, there are six times when we read specifically about the hands of Jesus. Chapter one, they touch a leper, he's healed of his skin disease. Chapter three, his hands touch many people by a lake and they are physically healed. Chapter five, he takes the lifeless hand of a 12-year-old girl and she gets out of bed and walks around. Chapter seven, he places his hands, his fingers, uh, in a deaf man's ears and the man can hear. In chapter eight, he takes a blind man by the hand to a private place, touches his eyes, and the man can see. And then the sixth time is chapter 10. Those hands of Jesus placed on these children, blessing them. What mom or dad would not want those hands on their children? Hands of healing, love, power. What mom or dad would not want Jesus to speak those words of blessing to their children? I mean, what must he have said? Did he tell them that they were fearfully and wonderfully made? Did he tell them that their Abba Father loves them so dearly? Did he tell them that their Abba Father is so proud of them? Did he tell them that Abba Father's presence will never leave them? You know, one of the deepest truths of our faith is that regardless of our age, You and I are the children of verse 16. This is what Jesus longs to do with all of us. To embrace us. To bless us. To tell us that we are God's beloved. Do you remember what the heavenly father said when Jesus was baptized, when he came up out of the water? He said three things. He said, you're my son. (laughs) You're my child. He said, you're my beloved. I love you so deeply. And he said, I'm so pleased with you. And you're saying, well, yeah, but that was Jesus. That's not me. But how many times did the New Testament say that we who profess faith in Christ are in Christ? We are in Christ. What God says to Christ, God now says to us because we are in Christ. He says, you're my son. You're my daughter. I love you so much. I'm so pleased with who you are becoming through the power of my Holy Spirit. I wonder who needs to hear that today. I've been reading a book um, by a South African pastor named Trevor Hudson. It's one of the textbooks for one of the classes I'm gonna teach in September and I, I think it's generally a good idea for professors to read the books that they assign. And so I've been reading it and uh, I've been really blessed by it and uh, uh, Trevor Hudson he talks about being on this kind of lengthy journey of discovering 
that he actually is the beloved of God as well. And he started sharing and preaching about what he had experienced. And he said one weekend he preached at this church. It was known for its lively and charismatic worship. He said it was a, a church that on the outside looked to be just filled to the brim with the presence of God. And um, he said he actually preached on this passage about the baptism of Jesus. And he shared this good news of how we in Christ are the beloved of God. And he said at the end of the service, he just felt this need to offer an opportunity um, for those who maybe were unsure of their belovedness to come forward in prayer. And he said to his great surprise, almost half of the people present, many of them longtime church members, walked to the altar for counsel and prayer. It turns out those grown-ups needed the same thing the children needed. They needed what godly moms and dads have modeled through the ages. They needed what Jesus Christ offers so freely. They needed to hear there is a pathway for you into the presence of God. Jesus has opened up a new and living way into the holy of holies. They needed to hear about that. They needed to hear that they have an advocate in Christ who sits at the right hand of God, who prays for us, who fights for us, who will knock over any barrier for his children to come to him. And they needed to hear and to feel the invisible hands of Jesus welcoming them, embracing them, and pronouncing words of blessing over them. And so do we. (laughs) So do we. And so I say, as Jesus says, let the children come. Let's pray. Lord, on this day, we have been given opportunity uh, to give you thanks for faithful moms who have given so sacrificially, and we are so grateful for them. Lord, we know that the love that we have seen in them is just a glimpse of the love that you have for us. And Lord, we know that so many people have grown up hearing, you're on your own. There's no pathway, you're on your own. So many people have grown up saying, I'm not gonna speak up for you. So many people, Lord, have grown up without the blessing. And so, Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, would you call us to faith, call us back to faith? Would you remind us that in you we are beloved? Would you speak the words of blessing our souls long to hear as we pray in Jesus' name, amen.